Hey guys, I'm just putting together a quick little intro narration. Um, this is a little mini so that Brian and I just talked to each other a little bit for you about how we think season one went, um, what our plans are for season two, and then there are a couple of pieces of information that have come up. Um, one from family members, just about someone who lived uh, below Damien that we want to throw in the mix of what you guys are talking about in this mid-season break. We also want to throw in that mix um, some new it's not new evidence. It's evidence that we've known of, but had nothing to connect it with. We want to talk about 76 photos of a maroon 1993 Cadillac DeVille that was owned by Robert Ensworth. Robert lived in apartment nine, which was right next door to Damien, closer to the door that you would have had to access at the top of those stairs at the Prospect Mansions. Um, go back and listen to previous episodes if you're not sure what I'm talking about. So this is the neighbor of James who lived at the Prospect Mansions, who was the last person who saw Damien and came forward um, or, you know, was questioned by police um, after Damien saw James that day, Saturday, May 25th, 2002. No one really knows exactly where his next destination was, how he got there, when um, and under what context. This car owned by Robert Ensworth was parked at the Prospect Mansions. These photos are both of the car and the contents of the car, and I have been working with um, people who owned the building, people who took care of the building, um, people who interacted with those neighbors as landlords. Um, they have let me know that Bob definitely would have uh, loaned that car out. He was the neighbor uh, that we discussed in probably an early episode, one through three maybe, um, Bob Ensworth knew everything that was going on with everybody because he was pretty much a homebody and hung out there and just kind of knew what was up. I asked police for a little bit more information and I'm waiting on a supplement actually right now as we speak, um, but I've put off publishing this long enough. I'm looking for an end result as to whether the contents of that car were tested. It, it sounds to me based on my conversations with... Um, Joe B's at the city born police department that they were tested. Not sure um, whether there's any more documentation. So that's just kind of where I'm at is trying to get a little more information um, as to what might've happened as a result of that testing. But this car is a piece of evidence that has not been in the public narrative, at least not in a large volume, not for a lot of people. And um, we're excited to share it because we want to throw it out there. We want to put it out there for people to discuss because we're hoping that it might jog a memory. So um, this is important. We hope that you'll listen and we hope that you'll reach out with any tips. If you know anything about anybody driving a, a 1993 Maroon Cadillac DeVille on the weekend of Memorial Day, specifically Saturday, May 25th, 2002 in Warren, Pennsylvania, please reach out. There are numerous ways to do that. They're all over the place. Look in the show notes. Thanks. Brian, season one. Yeah, uh, it went better than we probably expected that it was going to. I think so. Um, yeah, obviously the the end goal is to find him, and we didn't do that. But I think we took steps in the right direction to reaching that end goal. I think so too. I think it's exciting that um, there's going to be tangible changes, like you know. Crime Stoppers probably wouldn't have come to light if it hadn't been for somebody letting me know. Um, so, you know, if the podcast can do 
tangible things in the meantime while we continue working through what we have. Yeah, and if, if that's the only thing that, that comes of it, that's still a really good thing that comes of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, it, who would have ever known or how long would it have taken for that to, to be found out, yeah. uh, you know, if we hadn't been encouraging people to, to give it a call, and they did, which is which is another encouraging thing is that people, people heeded that and, and took it to heart and made those phone calls, and then when the phone calls didn't work, uh, let us know that it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting to see people and see the community reaching out. That's one thing that I've said from the beginning of this, like, there's always a potential that there's no new information to have, you know? And so the, the fear was starting out, is anybody even going to reach out to me? And if they do, is it just going to be prank calls and prank texts? But no, I mean, the, the volume of information that exists out there remains after 20 years, which is amazing. And I think the other thing too, is that it's, you know, I, I had mentioned to you at one point I'd heard on a, another podcast that, uh, somebody was equating the, the case to a, to a puzzle and talking to people who thought they only had a very small piece of the puzzle and it turned out they had a very big piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I think in our instance, it's not that necessarily that somebody's got a big piece of, of the puzzle, but that they've got a piece right. that they didn't realize that they had that piece of the puzzle. Exactly, exactly. Sometimes people will reach out with a tip on a thing that I've already heard, but there's a detail in it, like a color of a shirt or like something super dumb that if I didn't have this, you know, spreadsheet with all these tips with different variations, I wouldn't notice, Hey, that, that matters in a whole other column, you know? So it's interesting how it all works together and how, you know, I don't think anybody has a bigger piece than anyone. I think we all have shattered pieces and we're trying to figure out how to put the pieces together before we can even start the puzzle. Does that make sense? Well, somebody's got the big piece. I mean, that's, Let's be honest. Somebody's got the big piece Absolutely. that puts the whole puzzle together. Uh, whether we'll we'll get that piece or find that person or get that person to reveal what that piece is it remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, but there, there's definitely somebody's got the, the big piece of the puzzle. Somebody's got that centerpiece. It's mm-hmm. going to hook it all together. And um, you know, talking about little pieces, there's a little piece that we didn't get to talk a lot about in this season, mainly because it was evidence and we didn't really have anything to go on with it. But um, that car. There was a car that in 2003 was uh, parked out in front of um, Prospect Mansions. It was owned by a neighbor, Robert Ensworth. I don't know really why we didn't talk about it, except that there wasn't really enough to go on. But in 2003, dogs acted strangely around the car, according to police supplements. It was a 1993 maroon Cadillac DeVille. It was owned by Robert Ensworth, who was the neighbor that we talked about, the um, nosy neighbor. I don't want to say nosy because he wasn't. He just knew kind of everything that was going on. And... um, owners and managers and property managers would check in with him every week to see um, what was going on and who had been in trouble and and what the word was at Prospect. So I talked to the property manager a little bit and just said, hey, you know, do you know anything about a 93 Maroon DeVille? And he said, well, it would have been owned by Robert Ensworth. Um, And I said, you know, if Jim, who lived at Prospect, because part of the problem with the whole Jim story is Jim didn't have a car. Um, I said, would he have had access to Robert's car? And the property manager told me, absolutely. Robert wouldn't have even questioned him. He would have said, here's the keys, have fun. So, um, contents of that car were forensically tested, not because it was necessarily an indication by the dogs, but it was a strange behavioral change. And they said that nothing conclusive came out of the testing of the contents of that car. But, um, I think we'd like to drill down a little bit more into why 
and, and what exactly was done at Prospect. You know, I, I haven't heard a clear narrative of what specifically was searched, how it was searched, and why at Prospect. You know, and I think that's one of the other things we talk about, uh, some of the good that's come out of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, most definitely has been, I think, um, you know, law enforcement's eagerness to to work through this mm-hmm. and and listen to the things that we bring forward to them and, and share what information that they're able to share with us. Um, you know, and again, the, the simple fact that another cadaver dog search was done, uh, I think shows law enforcement's willingness to to take this seriously and and really try to find a resolution and i think that was a that was one of the big things that a lot of people said was that uh you know local police agencies just weren't all that interested in solving this case and i think they've proven otherwise through the course of the season sure sure i think there's a cultural change going on with law enforcement just in general um but definitely you know based on the people that i've spoken with the older, the retired officers, the officers who are retiring, they don't want to share information, whether it's relevant information or not. They don't want to share it um, with the younger officers, with um, Joe Spraveri, chief of police. Um, we have Damien's friend, Joe Bees, who was um, helping us out a little bit. And they're a lot more willing to explore ways that they can work with the media. Um, you know, I said in that meeting for Crime Stoppers, Crime Stoppers USA, which Crime Stoppers of Warren County is not affiliated with, it doesn't look like. The USA organization was started as a partnership between media and law enforcement. And so I'm excited to see how that cultural change will play out, you know, going forward with cases like this that crop up now, how I think, you know, just people not having the information. People didn't know that a dog search was done in 2003. You know, if people knew that, that might change what information they get, you know, when they get it and that type of stuff. So, you know, transparency within um, law enforcement through the media is, is a thing that I'd like to see develop. And it's certainly been something that we've we've noticed generally, uh, you know, since we started Your Daily Local is there's just been a willingness to to work with us and, and share information. You know, there's not you hear all the time about, you know, standoffish. And, and, and of course, with everything going on right now in, in Uvalde and, and all that nonsense um, certainly doesn't help that perception at all. Um, but we've been fortunate here in Warren County that we haven't run into things like that, that when, when we need information, you know, the police are always willing to at least speak with us and, you know, say, okay, here's, here's what we've got, or here's what we can release, or we can't talk about that because, you know, where, whereas in the past, I think there was just a general, well, we can't talk about an active investigation. Mm -hmm. And that was just the standard line. I think part of, that development might be too the fact that just pushing it through the podcast we pushed it and I think that was you know that was kind of the response in the beginning and then you know they were thinking okay let's hear them out so they had us over for that meeting which is great but I mean I think if it hadn't been for the cultural change we would have gotten that same straight you know party line answer again and again um but as a reporter I know there are reporter differences too. Just the different newsrooms that I've worked in, there are cops who are like, I will talk to you, I will not talk to him, or I will not. So it, just developing rapport has yeah. been a really helpful thing over the course of the past year. Yeah, and and you know, looking ahead to season two, obviously we hope that that rapport develops and, and the information sharing continues. Um, you know, because we're not <laughs> we're we're not probably not going to get very far if it doesn't. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that's the thing, you know, I think the resolution of a case like this really depends yeah. on um, departments going outside of their comfort zone and reporters, too. I mean, you and I in the beginning were like, oh, this is we were not seeing eye to eye on what we should use and how we should use <laughs> oh, yeah. it in a lot of cases. But um, you got to go outside the box as a journalist, too. Mm. So. For sure. And that's, you know, one of the things we're trying to do at, at Your Daily Local is not just do the same old, same old. Yeah. You know, those those things have been done. And, you know, clearly over the course of the last couple of decades it's led to a decline not just here but nationally of you know the trust is eroded uh you know the the trust between you know some media and law enforcement has eroded the trust between media and the public has eroded significantly absolutely i think that journalists and police officers are in the same position you know we've got a tough situation as reporters and as journalists if you're trying to do an ethical job culturally we are not uh, well regarded in a lot of places you know but you mentioned the the, the car we want to look more into the car yeah. um you know i've got a, a source a former law enforcement official who's stated that they're willing to go on record and and do a recording with us that has some um you know some potentially vital information about the early days of the case is when you know when they were active in in law enforcement and a couple of of interesting um you know at least bits of information that will probably warrant a, a deeper look in and of themselves. So those are some things, um, you know, that we can look forward to in this break and, and looking forward to in season two. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to getting into that. You know, there's the controversy over the two week wait that Dana and Steven are talking about. Um, I did get a chance to look at that um, notarized document. There's some question as to why the document needed to be notarized, um, you know, when and why. Uh, so we're going to be digging further into that and just trying to really my my main investigative goal this season, I think, is to have a complete narrative for that night. That night is so confusing. The people who were supposedly there, supposedly not there in other accounts, the people who went there, who went home, um, you know, the time of everything, you know, was it seven o'clock at night that Stephen got home or was it 11 o'clock at night? Um, just based on the differing stories from the differing people. You know, one person tells me one thing and another person tells me another thing. I got to find a document to, to figure that out, right. you know, or someone to say, no, this and, and, the, and why. And, and as we were discussing, you know, off, off air, right before we started this recording, there's, you know, there's still some things about that time period in general mm -hmm. that, that warrant, you know, a bit of a look and, and how, those, you know, the, the policies, the way of the times maybe would have impacted how things were handled both, you know, from, from the time that, you know, that Damien got to Prospect Street mm -hmm. through the early days of the investigation, all of those things play a part, you know, whether it's a small part or a big part mm -hmm. into, you know, people's perspectives on how things were handled. Sure. And I think there's really intricate ways that we can get deeper into that weekend because, you know, at the beginning of this, I was just trying to figure out where did he go? What's the official story? Like, what does everybody generally agree on? And at this point I'm there now I can kind of dive another level deeper. And there's a downstairs neighbor. So when Damien was living at Cedar street, his downstairs neighbor was Dana's mother-in-law. I talked to Anziette about this. She confirmed, um, they called her grandma Kibby. She really liked Damien. So, 
Was she questioned? Is there a supplement to do with her? What did she have to say? Because I would think that a downstairs neighbor called Grandma Kibby, who really, really thought highly of Damien, would be very interested in who was around that weekend and who wasn't and when they came and went. And, you know, I'd love to see if we can find more on that. Well, well, not not just that weekend, but you talk about the week to two week time frame from the 25th until he was reported missing. Who was coming in? Did she see who left some of these notes that maybe weren't signed? Did, yeah. You know, did she see people come and knock on the door and, and walk away without leaving a note? Was somebody there with a bunch of cleaning supplies? Right. Because the cleaning of the apartment is still hugely, widely contested between family and law enforcement. So who showed up and stayed there for an hour and cleaned it? You know, did they leave with a car full of stuff or did they leave with nothing? You know, I mean, just so many questions of that source. I, I genuinely hope that she was questioned um, and interviewed and, and that a record exists, but we'll see. You know, and again, these are just questions that we have. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are there are questions that that listeners have, and I know I've fielded a number of them. I'm sure you you've probably had more. Um, so many questions. <laughs> but again, you know, we want to encourage people, even during the seasonal break. Yeah. If you have questions, reach out. Yeah. Leave us a message. Leave us a voicemail. Um, you know, if if it gets to that point during the break we can do a question and answer session if, if at all to. possible and if not maybe your question is one that leads us down a path that we hadn't considered before and, and opens up all kinds of new doors so please if you have questions do not hesitate to to reach out um, you know if you don't want to have, be recorded that's fine send us a message mm-hmm. but don't keep the question to yourself. No, significantly more times than half the time when someone reaches out with a question rather than information, I still wind up going, ooh, there's more I can do on this or there's more I can do on that. So, you know, there's there's no need to keep it to yourself. Everybody has the same questions. And even if they don't, you might help me to switch my perception to see it in a different way to ask a, the right question of the right person, you know? And I, I think that's one of the things about, about season one that, you know, we didn't really... <laughs> delve deep into was there were a lot of times where it'd be 10 o'clock at night and all of a sudden ding 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 my facebook messenger's going off because you just got this great new information this person said this and then i'm going wait a minute that doesn't make sense hold on part of it doesn't make sense because you like to talk to text and i can't understand what what you're saying (laughs) but but some of it you know and so then i would question well okay if this then how does that lead to this Mm -hmm. and just us working through things you know we talked a lot in episode 10 about the wood chipper yeah and you know the biggest thing to me has always been it's such a messy way to do things and to try to to clean that to a point where you're not going to have any kind of forensic evidence outside of just dismantling and destroying the thing just seems so far out of the realm of possibility in my mind Mm. that I can't wrap my head around it. I'm not saying it's not at all possible, but it, to me, gets bumped so far down the list because of all the issues that would arise from just the functionality of it Mm -hmm. to it's noisy as hell to, like you said, it's going to make a mess in, in a radius of yes. your location where you set it down. It's going to be messy as hell to clean, and then you've got to try to dispose it, uh, of it in some way or try to clean it in some way. 
and it just working through all those things gets bumped way down my list, but that doesn't mean that my list is correct. Right. And so we're always working through, well, okay, well, what if this though? Yeah. And, and I think maybe we could do a better job explaining some of our process <laughs> with people, you know, and just throw up a picture of some of these message threads that we've gone through yeah. and, you know, the times that we've sat in the Arbor house and just hashed out a, okay, this is a theory, mm -hmm. poke some holes in it and, and take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard too, because you're trying not to get invested in anything and you get something and you're like, well, I know a hundred percent of what I know. And Brian knows 50% of what I know about that particular <laughs> theory because he hasn't gotten the same messages and we haven't talked. So I don't know. I get, I get stuff and I'm like, man, this could be really awesome. And I think you're like, eh. and I'm like, but wait, there's more, <laughs> you know, just trying to, yeah. we need to make a spreadsheet or some kind of thing. Right. At this point, I think that's probably what I'm going to do with my first couple of weeks of this break is just sit down with every single thing that I have and my personal notes and make a shareable document for us to be able to say. <laughs> I just got that's... attacked by some very amorous bugs. Yeah. It's <laughs> a very polite way to put that. <laughs> As the uh, as the daycare kids are coming yeah. down for a walk, <laughs> it's a collection of yeah. Well, you know, we ran into that at the at the national zoo. Our, my family went on a family vacation a couple of weeks ago, and we were in the the frog area, and they were getting a little froggy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was fun trying to explain that to my five-year-old they're really good friends why, why do they keep jumping together uh they mirror neurons they just have a good time uh, <laughs> they just really like each other yeah a lot. interesting yeah. side note as, as we're recording here <laughs> as we're recording bar. in nature yes <laughs> you know it's one of those things where we want to find for janine especially i know this is mm -hmm. for you uh, trying to find that resolution for her, yeah. uh, just as a mother and, and as a parent, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I can't fathom having gone for more than 20 years now mm -hmm. and just not knowing what happened to my child. Yeah. I can't imagine 24 hours. I feel like I would be, uh, completely medicated on horse tranquilizers and then they would need to call in elephant tranquilizers after about three <laughs> weeks. Cause I develop a tolerance. Mm -hmm. Like you would have to sedate me. Um, and, and that's the thing. My, my content has always been mom related. When I wrote columns, it was about being a mom, um, all the way back to the beginning of my career. So yeah, as a mom, that's kind of what motivates me. And, and, um, it could be any of our kids, you know, it could be any of our kids and how would the response change if it were one of ours versus Damien or vice versa. And, you know, and that's kind of the, the other thing, you know, we talked about how at the very beginning, this, could have been, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I, yeah. um, you know, could have been, could have been myself, could have been you, it could have been any of the, you know, hundreds of people that we know, yeah. uh, you know, and it, and it was for both of us, somebody that we knew even tangentially, mm -hmm. um, you know, but it, it really could have been mm -hmm. anyone. And, and that's another aspect of this, you know, to where we can dive in. If this is something people want to hear, you yeah. know, how do you, how do you get from, you know, the goth kid in high school to you're walking in that door or, or walking into that wooded area or wherever it was to where you, you, you meet your demise and, and what are the different choices? What, mm -hmm. what was going on, you know, 
societally, what yeah. was going on personally, what was, you know, the sign of the times at that sure. point. And is it still there? Is that, does that potential still exist or what things, what steps have been taken in the interim to hopefully prevent something like that from happening? You know, obviously we're not going to stop evil in this world. That's not ever going to happen, but to yes, where we can, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Our personality is perfectly <laughs> summed up, um, can, you know, but, but to where, okay, let's say something like this happens what has been done in the interim so that it's not another 20 years that a, that a parent and a family are waiting to find out what happened to their child? Yeah, and I think I would like to spend a, uh, an episode this season just on, you know, Joe Spraveri gave me a lot of information on, you know, legal changes, leg- legislative changes that have made it so that there's a more consistent um, response to a missing person's case and that type of thing. So, I mean, we can go more into that about, you know, legislatively. I think we can look at the bigger issues now that everyone has the basic story and knows where our questions lie and what the issues with those stories are. We can start to investigate how bigger issues, social issues, national and and statewide would have impacted this case. Well, and I I reached out to you about a week or so ago. Uh, You know, I was watching a a show and they were talking about uh, Molly Tibbetts, the the Iowa student who... uh, was unfortunately was was murdered by a local farm worker um you know but in this in this show where they're talking about that first day it was less than 24 hours from her last known contact to the time that a police report was filed and they took it seriously right and i i think that's a major step forward that has been taken to where you know they weren't told well she's an adult, she's allowed to be missing, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's, Mm -hmm. and while that is, yes, technically true, Mm -hmm. if family comes and says, something's not right. That's basically the worst thing you can say to them. Yeah. You know, that's like (laughs) the worst thing that you can say to them because they're like, but this is my person, not just any person, you know? And this is why my person wouldn't do that. Mm. So, you know. I feel, I think it's really hard. I think after, you know, 10, 15 years of doing police work and seeing this kind of stuff. And like Joe said, you know, nine times out of 10, a missing person is a kid who didn't show up home after school and went to a friend's house and was afraid they were going to get in trouble and didn't want to come home and, or, you know, whatever, whatever. But, um, nine times out of 10, it is not a situation like this. And so I think it's hard not to become jaded and be like, I mean, think about stories that came into the newsroom, you know, or when somebody would be like, this is a major news yeah. story and you're going to change the world. And you're like, we can't even write that story. Yeah. You know, logistically that right. can't happen. So, you know, getting past that jadedness of officers <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, also trying to, I think a really great episode would be talking about if you're going to go to the police station, this is what the police need to hear to motivate mm-hmm. them. This yeah. is what they need to hear. This is what gets them jacked up, you right. know, and wanting to be out well, there. And, and, you know, again, that's, these are things that, that we can go to, to, you know, Chief Sprayer or Sheriff Dable and, mm-hmm. and just say, look, let's let's get it all out there. If somebody wants to report a missing person, yeah. what do they need to come to you with? Yeah. Not just what's going to motivate you to look, but what are the, the basic things that you're going to ask of them that they should be pre- prepared to present to you? Because if you show up and you say, yeah, I haven't heard from so-and-so and it's mm-hmm. been, I don't know, like two or three days. When was the last time you talked to him? I don't know. It might have been, you know, what's today? Friday. Uh, it might have been Monday, maybe Tuesday morning. I'm not really sure. You know, yeah. 
those are the kind of things where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, on the law enforcement side of it, you kind of look at it and be like, all right, well, that's a 12-hour gap mm-hmm. that... A lot of things can happen A lot of things hours. can happen in 12 hours, you know. They may have decided they hated you in 12 hours, yeah. and that's why you haven't heard from them, you know. Yeah, you know, and what was, well, what was the last thing you, you talked about? Mm-hmm. Well... I don't know. I kind of yelled at them, or you know, yeah. oh well, we were just making a grocery list. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just it, it's different. And but to be prepared with that kind of information so that they can be aware of where might they have been going, mm-hmm. what route might they have taken. You know, mm-hmm. when when should they have been back? Why is it abnormal that you yeah. haven't talked to them in two or three days? Getting all of that stuff together before you go down there and and, and filing the report. You know, not to discourage anybody from right. filing a no. report, but making sure that you have all your ducks in a row. And that can be extremely difficult, mm-hmm. especially if you are a parent reporting a child. Absolutely. Because you're probably thinking of the worst thing imaginable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my list would be absolutely nonsense because I'd be like coming up with crazy shit because <laughs> right. my brain is in crazy places. But yeah, I think, and Anzietta would be a really great resource for that because she's learned a lot and she's shared a lot with me about what she's learned about how these situations work. And yeah, I'm excited going into the season. I think we have a lot to look into um, and we want to know what people want to hear about. We want to know what questions you have because that helps us guide our content. We're, we're trying to create content that interests you while also sharing the truth and the story. So there's definitely lots of ways for us to do that, but we got to know what you want to hear about. And, and even if you don't have questions, if you just remembered something about the way Warren County was in, in 2002, I mean, again, you know, this is 20 years ago and there's a lot of things that, I mean, even again, even just today we we were talking about, oh yeah, at that point there was yeah. this. If that's something that you remember that we haven't touched on, again, it all folds into itself mm-hmm. as to how this case went forward. Yeah. So, you know, by all means, if you if you have memories about you know, mm-hmm. Warren County in, in 2002 and, and places and people that, uh, you know, maybe we haven't touched on yet, feel free mm-hmm. to share those as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think if you think of any conflict or problem that has come up in your life, if you think about how that happened, it's a it's a combination of so many different factors from so many domains of your life. It's not cut and dried. It's not Damien went here, met this person. This person just decided, you know, I mean, there's yeah. so much that plays in on, on everyone's end. Um, so yeah, just the social and the way that the city worked, you know, there was a 10 o'clock curfew for kids under 18. Kids used to get kicked out of Perkins for being too young to be at Perkins, which you don't want that late night chicken salad problem starting (laughs) out. (laughs) Well, and again, you know, things like, like first night Warren doesn't happen anymore. And, and that, that whole area of downtown where it took place, uh, you know, structurally is kind of the same, but you know, outside of the plaza, has pretty much changed entirely at least mm-hmm. once yeah. over the last 20 years. You know, like we talked about uh, Master Skater, especially, yeah. is, is gone. Yeah. Um, there's other, you know, Steve's United News was, mm-hmm. a, was oh another gosh. big place that people went all the time, and it's gone. It's and, gone. And, and, you know, and now you've got places like Arbor House is there and Wicked Warren's is there, and, you know, there's antique shops. and You're seeing people out dining on the street. That would never have happened 20 years ago. Like (laughs) you didn't see anybody just hanging out on the street. People do. I mean, there's a real push to get downtown to be active all of the time, not just in and out for your ship, but like sit on the sidewalk, enjoy the day. And so, yeah, just the way that people Mm. use this space of the city is different. Well, and and Liberty Street itself at one point was kind of hopping. You know, you had multiple restaurants and, you know, 
GC Murphy's was yeah. there. It was the big, you know, you could walk in one end and come out on that Second so Avenue. Cool. And, um, you know, but a lot of those places are, are gone now and kind of being run down and dilapidated. So that, that whole area of places where people might have hung out, you know, if you say a name of a place, then a lot of people go, oh, yeah, I remember that. But you don't think about it. Right. Until you're going, man, what was there? And the thing is, what was there in 2002 would have compelled someone to be downtown. That Mm -hmm. might have been the difference between somebody coming across Damien or not. And I know it didn't happen downtown, but you know what I'm saying? Like, just what was downtown might have changed someone's schedule for that day to the point that they ran into Damien when they normally wouldn't have. And how does, you know, so that's what I'm talking about. These little butterfly effect, tiny bullshit, you know, details that that's what's going to make the difference. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, again, if you have questions, if you have memories, if there's a, a, a hangout spot that you remember, not just downtown, but, you know, somewhere people would go that maybe is, is not there anymore or has, you know, kind of dropped off as far as that's where people go to hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, by all means, reach out, yeah. share that, give us that info. We're happy to, to talk about it and, and delve into this stuff a little bit deeper. Yeah. I'm really excited about season two. Um, Anything that you want to add about it, or? No, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think there's there's been a lot that's brought forward that we've got to to work on. Uh, I think people are going to once we get it out there <laughs> are going to want to listen again. Um, by all means, tell friends, tell family, yeah. tell coworkers, um, rate, review, subscribe, um, spread it around. You know, just let people know, get the word out, because again. You, most people probably don't even realize that they have a piece, much less how big a piece of the puzzle that they could be be holding on to. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, somebody like like Brianna coming forward and saying, yeah. "Well, hey, I saw him at, at Bilo mm-hmm. at eleven o'clock that day." Yeah. Potentially changes everything. Right. You know, if we can right. if we can get that corroborated mm-hmm. in, in any way, shape, or form, then that's a game changer. Absolutely. But. We don't know that until, yeah. you come, until you come tell us. We about need it. the information. We can't know things. We can't say things that we don't know, and we can't know things unless you tell them to us. So, hit us up. We don't bite. Confirmed. No bites yet. Reported. <laughs> no bites reported. <laughs> All right.